Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, here's the interesting thing about an arson. Like, you know, it, you know, if you're going to kill somebody, you know, you've got to get close to them. You better, you know, come up to them, even if you're going to shoot them. You know, you've got to get fairly close. The uh, the thing with a serial arson is, you know, much much of them, uh, you know, arson's a coward's crime because you can set it and run away and, and yes. wait for it to happen. So these aren't guys um, who are necessarily going to, you know be the guy that's going to get up in your face. Uh, you know, they tend to be more, uh, you know, withdrawn about things because they'd rather do their thing and step back and, and, and watch it. Um, you know, that was certainly uh, the case of most of the people I've dealt with who were serial arsonists. Most of them were kind of mousy people who, you know, um, you know, I, I got to tell you, I think most of them wanted to get caught eventually and, and they, they were enjoying it. I know the, the guy that did this fire, you know, he, he would tell me that he used to watch me on TV, uh, you know, pulling out my hair, and you can see it already happened, uh, uh, you know, working on the case. And, uh, he, you know, and, and when we got him and we started talking to him about it, you know, I wouldn't say he was bragging about it. It was more like, yeah, you know, I did it, and here's how I did it. And, uh, you, you know, it, it just wasn't, uh, you know, the, the, like, like a guy who was, you know, trying to do it because he's a contract arsonist, because you could – you can also make the argument the contract guy is a serial guy because he's he's doing arsons for profit. You know, he's hired out and he's burning things. He's doing multiple fires. Right. But technically, he's a he's a serial guy, but his motivation is is uh, usually money. Um, I can't say that because they are getting money, they're not also enjoying it. But uh, you know, their their motivation clearly isn't uh, so much psychological; it is, is financial. Right. Um. You know, but the, the, you know, it, it it it's not cut and dry. I I think there could be a lot more studies done on it. I, I'd like to see that. Um, but you know, I I, I I I've seen a lot of the guys that we've done, like this guy, Epic that we arrested. This, I mean, uh, you know, one of the things when we got the profile and they were telling us about the ties to, uh, you know, he had a uh, he had a sex crime in his past. And uh, the case didn't go anywhere, but, you know, uh, we were able to find it. And, um, you know, they, they tend to be uh, lower socioeconomic. Uh, they tend to have disheveled appearances. And uh, we were waiting for him to, you know, to, to pick him up. I mean, uh, the last fire that he did was to uh, Temple Oab Zedok. And uh, you see uh, Rabbi Reiner there. I don't even know if Rabbi Reiner is still alive, but, uh, you know, he did a he did a minor fire there, and most of these fires that he had there were were minor fires. But uh, there was a can in the uh, school around the corner where if you made a phone call, you put a quarter in, and he was in there and he was begging them for money, and he stole the can. And uh, you know, when the rabbi started talking about this crazy guy with a disheveled appearance, and they knew his name because they would write him checks, right. actually writing him checks to kind of he. So we went to the bank, you know, hey, you know, what's going on with the checks? And we saw that he was cashing them on a welfare card. And the, all the women in the bank were like, oh, crazy Bebek, messed up teeth, messed up hair, always looks like disheveled. So now you're like, okay, disheveled appearance. He's got you know, his own welfare. He's probably lower socioeconomic. Then you run his BCI and you see the sex crime in his past. You're like, okay, we've got to go talk to Brian. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you something about the 93 World Trade Center bombing. Now, uh, it's famous that the the bombers rented a U-Haul 
and they were allowed to somehow park the U-Haul in the garage in the in the uh, basement of the World Trade Center. What what type of bomb was that? A big one. Uh, Obviously, <laughs> they 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 took a van and they they, they uh, made something called Witch's Brew, which is basically like ammonium nitrate. And uh, I don't want to talk too much about how it was made because I, I certainly don't want to kind of give an instruction on how to make a bomb. But uh, I think people can pull up the directions on the internet to do that. You know, you know what? Let them. I mean, uh, it, you know, it's funny when I do lectures on this, I, I show all the places online that you can get this, and it's usually uh, some movies where they tell you how to do it, or uh, some TV shows. And um, there's been, you know, a couple of, of major newspapers that have put things in there. You know the how he does it and they, right. they give instructions. I just don't want to contribute to that. But I mean, they, they loaded the back of the van up. They, they basically took a long fuse, lit it, and then it went up. Um, that did some, um, it did like a two story hole in the ground, too, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, you know, it, it's, it's amazing. But, you know, like when a, when a, when a bomb goes out, you know, it, it, it keeps spreading. It's taking everything in its path. And, uh, you know, being in a parking lot, there is a lot of open spaces. You have places some of that energy to vent, but I mean, it's still, you know, they put it close to the walls and, and you know, I, I think they wanted to knock the building down, but, uh, you know, when you watch demolitions of buildings, you know, you, they, 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 they rig the charges so that the building falls on itself, you know, right. you just can't, you know, throw a bomb in and, and, and knock it down. Uh, you know, we've even seen that with gas explosions with Con Ed and things. I mean, sometimes you get a small enough building, it'll, it'll take the building down. But I mean, for the most part, you know, you, you've got to plan a detonation to, to knock it down. It just doesn't happen like that. Now, is there any truth to the, uh, to the rumor that I heard? I, I may have heard this at a training course that the bomber went back to U-Haul to get his deposit back. And that was one of the ways he got caught. Yeah. yeah you actually had, uh, it wasn't one bomber. It was a team of guys and, and two of them went back to, uh, believe it or not, they went back to New Jersey to get the, uh, the deposit on the uh, rental of the van, you know, they reported it stolen and uh, it's amazing. Right. And they, they oh, basically told the guys like, where is the van? Oh, you want the deposit back? Where's the van? <laughs> you think about all the money and time they put into this and, and you know, let's go back for the van. You know, it's, uh, is that one of the ways that they got caught? Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, what had happened was, uh, you know, when, when, the different police agencies put together and they found the VIN uh, for the van. They knew what, you know, what the van was, were able to trace it back. And they said, all right, this van belongs to this. Uh, I don't want to say the, the commercial name of the company, but the, the rental company. Right. Uh, you know, when we found out where it was, you know, we reached out to them. And then, you know, when, when the guys called up and said they were coming back for their deposit, they were like, uh, hey, you want those guys? They're coming by. And uh, <laughs> that's great. I mean, you can't make stuff up that the stupidity yeah. of that. You, yeah. No one would ever believe that unless it was true. Yeah, you, you know, what's funny. Um, I was doing a lecture last year in the Caskills uh, to an audience, and it was really about you know, uh, the, uh, the last bombing. And, and, you know, when I talked about the 93 bombing, people like 93 bombing, you know, and, and it, it's funny how, you know, it was the first – terrorist attack on the country, you know, people died and, and uh, you know, no one seems to care about it. I mean, I'm glad when I went to the World Trade Center Memorial, they actually have a section carved out for the people that, 
that died. I'm glad they, they actually made that distinction, you know, right, uh, right. you know, it, it just, uh, I mean, it, 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 you know, it certainly changed everybody's, uh, lives in the country, in the city. It certainly changed mine. I mean, you know, uh, one day I'm running around crack houses in East New York and now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm down there. And again, you know, I, I had not been in the squad more than a couple of months when this happened. I'd never worked on anything like this. You know, I always said, yeah, I was there. Yeah. I made the coffee. You know, I learned a lot by, uh, you know, watching, uh, you know, certainly my fellow detectives in arson explosion, but also the guys in Taru, the bomb squad, ESU. But uh, it was also, you know, it was it was the FBI show because it was terrorism. Right. Uh, and, and the uh, members of the ATF national response team and uh, just a, a tremendous experience. I mean, I'll, I'll, you know. Well, what was your experience in your uh, Austin explosion career? Uh, with working with the FBI, was it positive experience or? You know, I I, I never really uh, had a problem with 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 the you know if you understand the way the game is played, you know it's like you know certain things they get. It's a terrorism case, it's theirs, and you know what? That's the way it is. And and if you understand that, then when they come in and they they take over a case, you know. You realize this. Listen, this is their jurisdiction. This is their ball game, and uh, we worked much closer with uh, with ATF because ATF, you know, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. You know, they they were the ones that were charged with bombing investigations. Uh, they were also uh, charged by uh, President Clinton with doing all the church fires, and and uh, that kind of became my forte in the unit. Was doing a lot of the fires to religious institutions. And uh, so I worked a lot with ATF, uh, some wonderful guys, uh, Jerry Raffa, Chris Bean, uh, Stan Wojcic, uh, Bruce Laundis. I mean, there's this, I'm, I'm John Leahy. There's, there's so many I could mention. And they, they were all uh, wonderful guys to work with, uh, very helpful, uh, helped us get training. Uh, you know, sometimes they help you by just, the feds would pay the overtime on, on something that was going on, you know, which right. is always a problem. They get your cars, they get your training. Uh, you know, we had to go somewhere and uh, do, I had to go to interview uh, some people on an arson bomb, uh, bombing case in uh, Florida. Yeah, don't worry, we'll pay for it. We'll pay for the hotel, we'll pay for it. You know, and when the, you know, you still have the job because everything has a dollar value to it. Oh, you know, who's going to pay for this? Well, you right, know, right. going to pay for it. It's so, you, when you okay. think about it, it, it seems so like Mickey Mouse that they're nickel and diming like that with the budget on the NYPD. Because, the, you know, and some these cases are very important cases, but you're right. They have this budget and they don't want to pay to send people to other states. The FBI has international jurisdiction. I mean, they could send uh, an agent to, to England, to, you know, to Israel, to anywhere in the whole world yeah. and not bad an eye. But local police or even the NYPD doesn't have this huge travel budget or when they do, they don't want to spend the money. Uh so, yeah, it becomes a, a problem, you know. Yeah, and you know what, too? I mean, certainly there's a monetary issue to it, but there's also uh, the fact that jurisdictionally, I mean, you know, the feds can go anywhere in the country and, you know, they have just as much authority in uh, New York City as they do in, uh, you know, Okefenokee somewhere, you know. and uh, But that's why they've deputized NYPD uh, detectives, sergeants. Yeah, we were all deputized. We, we were all. Right. Uh, so you're a federal agent, so you can go anywhere, too go anywhere, carry our guns anywhere. I mean, even after 9-11, we were traveling, I'm, I'm carrying my gun on the plane and, uh, 
I thought it would be a problem. The captain's like, nope, we've got cops and agents on with guns. Great. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, they, they bring a lot of resources. And like I said, I mean, our, you know, with ATF, you know, I had to go to their people for profiling. You know, it was funny, though, um, when I talked to them, you know, it, you know, they would give me ideas about what to look for in the Rockaways, you know, with the socio, lower socioeconomic and the homeless. And, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're down south giving us this information. I'm like, they don't know what the Rockaways is like. They don't know, like, you know, 116th Street has a ton of SROs and homeless people. And, right. um, you know, at the time, I'm like, well, that's not really going to help me, you know, narrow my suspects down or, or, or help me identify. You know, you take the information, you put it in your pocket, and you know what? It, it ended up being valuable, you know, when the suspect came up. Now, all that information was invaluable, you know, and it doesn't help you arrest him necessarily, but it certainly lets you know you're on the right trail. This is the guy. All right. We've got to talk to this guy. We got to account for his time. Sure. And, uh, you know, they were great too about like when we were having all the fires, they gave us a lot of pole cameras and cameras to set up in the area to try to catch the guy. We never got him on the cameras, but I mean, just being able to, you know, give us those kind of resources. And, uh, you know, I can't say well, you, you spoke about wonderful how, um, to work with. Yeah. You spoke about how federal agents, um, don't have a good um, handle on like the specific community you mentioned far Rockaway. And that's why it's such a great idea that we have these joint task forces where they put NYPD cops, detectives, you know, uh, working with the FBI and working with yeah. the EF because they can be sort of the eyes and the ears for those federal agencies and sort of show them the ropes in the specific areas of the city that, they just may not have the experience in working in, you know. And you know what it is? I mean, you know, where, where we can make arrests without a warrant, you know, under certain circumstances with probable cause, you know, the feds tend to make all their arrests, uh, you know, with very few exceptions uh, through a warrant, you know. So, if, uh, you know, there's things we can do, uh, you know, street encounters, how we handle things. It, it's just... Um, it's also when you have them and you bring them in and you start questioning people and, you know, hey, here's my friend, the uh, federal agent. And if you lie to him, that's a problem. Right. And, uh, you know, so there's, you know, you, you have to be able to work in tandem and, and, and work with each other in a successful way. And you got to know each other's strengths and weaknesses. And, and there's a lot of great task forces like the Joint Terrorist Task Force, uh, the Joint Arson Task Force that was part of Arson Explosion. But, you know, I've always felt like probably the most abused word in law enforcement is task force because, uh, yeah. you know, like I'll, my, my favorite example is, 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 is the Rockaway case that we just profiled where, you know, when fires were happening, uh, it was all, uh, you know, we were, you know, the task force was us and bias and the precinct detectives and, uh, you know, ATF and uh, the Nassau marshals and the cops in Long Beach, you know. But when the things were happening all the time, it was myself and uh, another detective, uh, great detective Jeffrey Gardner from Bias, you know, who was, you know, doing most of the work, you know, and, you know, we couldn't get overtime. I mean, I, I got to tell you, so many of the, uh, the the nights I was working on the case, I ended up working on it alone, and I worked on it on my own time because, you know, the, the job wouldn't give overtime. As a matter of fact, don't tell me yeah. that. I was the SBA delegate. As soon as there's all overtime, I leave. <laughs> you know. Yeah, you know, I, I uh, believe me, the city has the money. They have the money. Oh, I know they have it. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like 
don't tell me that you're not going to pay me, you know. <laughs> it's crazy. And, uh, well, you know, it was it was funny because even when I when I caught the guy, you know, they, you know, um, without getting too much into it, you know, I basically, you know, was running the case and uh, running the investigation. I had a lot of help from uh, great detectives like Bob DeLeon from the 100th Squad. And, uh, you know, we knew the guy. He was actually a Brooklyn guy. And we went to go get him and. Uh, you know, they weren't authorizing the overtime and they sent me home and I'm like pleading, like, are you kidding me? I've, you know, we're finally here and we're going to, you know, and I was sitting home and, uh, I was just doing, I, I just started dating, uh, my wife and, uh, you know, I said, you know what? I'm going to actually went and I, I caught him off duty, you know, and brought him in. Wow. That's why I'm not in my, you know, when I'm, when I'm doing the walk, I'm not in bureau clothes because Amy was a big bureau clothes guy because when I went and got him, you know, I went and I got him um, on brought him back and then once I had him back at the precinct all of a sudden no no you're on you're on duty you're on duty and uh you know myself and uh you know I was fortunate enough to have a, a great sergeant like John Santos and uh you know came out and uh thank God for John Santos I mean, he, you know he uh, you know we 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 we'd argue all the time but he it was great to have that guy grabbing you back and like all right kid you know relax <laughs> I thought the boss's job coming in you know the boss's job is to protect you from yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, John, if you're watching, thank you. You protected uh, myself plenty of times. You no, know, it took me years. a little on my other side. It took me years to, to realize that. I got promoted very early in my career. I had four years and 10 months on a job I made sergeant. And I didn't understand until years later that my job was to protect cops and detectives from themselves. It took me a few years yeah. to figure that out, you know. Once I did, you know, it was like, hey, it's almost like I'm doing this for your good, not not for mine, you know. <laughs> Sorry, I'm plugging it in. I'm, I'm running out of power there. Here we go. <laughs> uh -oh. Give me one sec, one sec. <laughs> you also an explosion guy doesn't have enough power, not enough juice. Something seems there we go. a little weird about that. But uh, <sighs> so where this this career as an Austin explosion detective now led to your um, – second career as uh, the owner of a private investigative firm, right? Well, you know, it's fine. I, I really didn't think I was going to uh, continue with fires. You know, it was funny. I, I, I kind of fell into A&E. You know, there's certain guys that, uh, you know, were volunteer firemen. They're, they're, they're very into the firemen. I, I'm, I'm a guy. I grew up in the city. I'm, I'm from Bay Ridge. Uh, you know, and and – it was a thing where, uh, you know, they had some openings and like, you want to go do this? And at the time they had a case where they were buying grenades. And I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. An extension of kind of a buy and bust that I was doing in, in uh, narcotics. And uh, when I joined, it really wasn't a forensic squad. You know, like I said earlier in the interview, you know, we would call the fire marshal in the morning. They would fax over cases that we would catch. And later on, it became... Uh, you know, more like it is today. It's, it's certainly more of a, a, a crime scene or a forensic type of a, of a squad. But, um, you know, it, it's one of those things where if you're going to work this in the private sector, I mean, you're either going to go work for a company that is doing insurance cases um, or you could do defense work for, and I might say defense work, you know, it's, it's certainly criminal defense work, which is part of my practice. But, uh, you know, it's also insurance defense where a lot of these insurance companies are uh, short sheeting people on, on uh, some fire claims. And, and, you know, you'd be surprised when you get some inexperienced guy doing the case and they say it's an arson. I had a, I won't mention the detective's name, but I had a, 
uh, a very well-known detective in the uh, department who uh, him and his wife had a house that was a rental property that burned and, and the, uh, the, 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 the guy working the case for the insurance company was saying it was an arson and I walked him through the scene and I said, no, look, this is why it's not. And, uh, you know, they were looking at him because a lot of red flags were going up. You know, they were, they were in the rears. They hadn't had tenants in a while. They weren't making money. Uh, you know, the house was becoming uh, a burden on them financially. And that's certainly one of the many things that you want to look for, you know, when, when you see a fire, you know, is you know, are these people not being able to handle the car payment, the house payment, the mortgage? Right. But, uh, you know, they, he was so blinded by that. He was like, no, this is why and this is why. And I'm like, no, come here, see, see this, see that? And, uh, you know, we were able to convince them that uh, – it was a, an accidental fire. It was an electrical fire, and uh, they paid his claim. And I mean, you can imagine, you know, what would have happened to this guy if, if they, uh, you know, because you know, the minute that happens, they're going to call the job, and they're going to drop uh, a, a departmental case on him about this as right, sure. creating a fraud. So you know, I was very proud that I was able to uh, protect him from that. Um, but you know, you'd be surprised how many people get uh, insurance claims where. Uh, you know, the, the companies don't want to pay it or uh, they're arguing about whose responsibility it is. You know, you'll have a building that burns and you'll have an arson investigator coming in for the building owner. And you'll have another arson investigator coming in for the guy that rents the place and another guy coming in for the guy that got hurt in the fire who's just in the place at the time. You know, so you can have one fire case where you'll have multiple investigators on it and uh, because they're all covering multiple people's interests. And what might not be the building owner's interest, because maybe he didn't maintain the building properly. And now I'm the tenant and I'm saying, well, because he didn't do that, I want to go after his insurance. And it's called subrogation. Uh -huh. where they're all looking to, you know, who, who's, who can we blame for this, you know? And, uh, you know. Well, it, I think that's why when someone sues, they sue everyone. Everybody. <laughs> Yeah. I know I do. <laughs> well, you know, that's why the people always want to sue the city because they have the deepest pockets, right? Oh, absolutely. But, uh, you know, you'd be, some, some of these insurance companies are, you know, they've got deeper pockets than you people would probably imagine. You know, it's, uh, I'm not an anti-insurance company, but, you know, uh, I'll tell you this. I mean, when I was in A&E, uh, I, I can't think of too many times where I had uh, commercial fires where, the uh, the private guy wasn't calling to say, is there any way we can think that we're looking at the insured? You know, <laughs> and if uh, we had reason to think that that was the case, and, and uh, we're able to point them in that direction, uh, you know, they'd be over the moon because they thought eventually we were going to lock the guy up. And uh, but you know, sometimes that bites them in the ass too. We've we've had cases where you know they, you know, they, they were so quick to pay people. Like we had this uh, the Trebekah torch. This guy was setting fires in. Uh, down by the federal plaza and uh one of the fires ended up being a, a homicide to a fire a fire lieutenant leonard and uh when we made the arrest yeah for about a week uh you know big press conference at giuliani and then uh you know a lot of accolades a lot of you know great jobs but um a lot of attaboys <laughs> what's that a lot of attaboys a lot of attaboys but um I mean, you know, we were, you know, we were just happy to get the guy, especially the the, uh, the fire lieutenant died uh, after we already had the guy arrested. So, 
you know, obviously the charges were upgraded and, and turned over to the detective squad in the first precinct, but... 